Be seated. Thank you. Well, good morning. Hopefully we'll have our sound issues where they need to be perfect. Thank you so much. It is so gl- I am so glad to be with you uh, this week. And, and the bad thing for you is it's been six weeks since I've preached anywhere, which means I haven't had a captive audience for six weeks. So uh, we may be here a while. No, I, I'm, I'm so excited to be with you uh, this morning. If you have your Bibles, and if you don't have them today, I'd encourage you to bring them in the days to come, because we'll certainly be uh, going to Scripture each week. I'd encourage you to turn to Acts, the 15th chapter. We're going to spend some time uh, in the book of Acts as we look at what it means to be a church that's on mission that God's called us on. But I want to first say a, a special thank you to uh, several of you, actually all of you in, in, in many ways. First of all, to the search team. I know... So many of you spent hours and hours and hours listening to sermons, which sounds horrible, right? I mean, who would want to sign up for something like that? But, but they did that faithfully, and they prayed, and they discerned. I was, I was so grateful for the process, getting to know that team, and for the spouses that gave up so many hours with kids and all that. Thank you so much. To the elders and staff for the welcome I've received. And, and the, we got a banner in our front yard that many of you signed. And so we're grateful for that. Everyone in our neighborhood knows where we go to church now. So uh, hopefully they'll be joining us soon. But we are so glad to be here as a part of this church family, as I've said. And uh, it is an exciting morning in so many ways. Uh, Holly and I have been waiting and praying for this moment for many years now. We're Texans again, which is a good thing, right? Um, and so we, 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 Holly grew up all her life in Texas, uh, in the Dallas area, so this has been a return home for her. Uh, but for, for, for me, I was born in Abilene, Texas, and uh, hopefully that'll work out. Uh, I was born in Abilene, Texas, and uh, moved to California for about 10 years growing up, but got back here as fast as I could after that, and we're so glad to be back home. Um, and it's interesting with family legacies, what your family uh, background means to different places. Uh, in the Denver area, uh, I had an ancestor that was famous from Colorado, and his name was Alfred Packer. Uh, Good-looking guy, right? Uh, anybody know that name by chance? Any background on him? I see Curtis back there. Okay, a few... Well, Alfred Packer is actually a descendant of mine, a little more distant, at least I'll, I'll, I'll pretend it's that way, than you might want to know. But Alfred uh, was known for uh, committing uh, an, an offense in Colorado years ago, uh, many years ago. He was known as the Colorado Cannibal. And uh, so he had a mountain expedition that he went on, and stories kind of diverge about what exactly happened, uh, but he was convicted of manslaughter. And uh, it was not a good thing. And it, not exactly a family heritage thing you want to hold on to. And you've never really lived until you pull up to a Wendy's and you hand your credit card over and they have the name Packer on there. And they ask, are, are you related to Alfred? And yeah, yes, I am. Let's, you know. But I, I'm glad to turn in that family legacy for a different one because here in Texas, my most famous relative is a guy named Colin McKinney. You may have heard of him before. I don't know. He was, uh, uh, came in 1824. So it's almost been 200 years since he got here. And Colin McKinney was a, an important politician in the area. Uh, he came from Kentucky where the restoration movement, where churches of Christ emerged from, uh, Barton Stone, Alexander Campbell were key figures and Barton Stone, actually, he joined up with that movement and he moved across the red river, uh, to Texarkana and then on to Van Alstine. He was an important figure, uh, signed the Texas Declaration of Independence. So I'm going to claim that status a lot more than Alfred during my time here. Uh, 
Uh, in fact, I had my first interview, and I ended up on Colin McKinney Boulevard right off of there, and I thought, this, this is home, right? So I'm claiming that heritage, not the old one, but we all have those criminals and, and people in our past we try to put aside like that. But I got to tell you, I, I didn't come back to Texas uh, to be closer to family. That's an added bonus that we get to have to be closer. But we came because we feel a strong calling to this church family and the mission and the vision that you all have here in Collin County. Uh, it's nice that people will spell my name right for the first time in a while too, but, but I got to tell you, we have felt called to this church, we have felt called to this ministry, and we are so excited to launch that uh, this morning. And so over the next couple of weeks, I want to share some of my heart about what has led me to you all, about what God's been doing in my life and the mission and vision of this church that so closely aligns with the heart that God's given me as well. Uh, but let's begin with a prayer this morning as we launch into the text and the sermon. God, this morning, I, uh, I give thanks for all uh, that has gotten us to this place. Uh, you've grown us up in so many ways, and we're grateful for the Littleton Church and ask for prayers on their process of finding the next one who will lead there. But God, I... I, I just ask this morning that your name and your renown would be known this morning. That's what people walk away with. It's not about a new preacher. It's not about a new program. None of that really matters in the scheme of things, God. It's about you and your glory and your renown. We want that to be known not just in the houses represented here, but in the neighborhoods and communities around us. So, God, I, I just pray this morning that you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts and that we would leave these doors reminded again of our mission in the world. In Jesus' name that we pray. And the church said, Amen. Well, I've seen the, the vision of this church is to love God, to love people, and to serve others. And I'm excited about that mission and that vision. Uh, it's pretty simple. It's what Jesus called us to do. He summed up the law in those two commandments, to love God with everything you have, to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what's trying. I, I want my, to be dr- driving our family and our life as well. And I hope this becomes more a part of our DNA together as we begin to, to get to know one another, that this becomes uh, who we are as a church family, that you've already discerned together, that we are going to love God and we're going to learn to grow in his relationship with him, that we're going to learn to love people, those that are in this community and those that we get to serve that are out there as well. And we're excited about that mission and, our, and that vision. But that idea didn't come to this church originally, right? It started a long time ago, back to the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, there's this huge challenge and mission that the church has. There's this small community, this small minority within the Roman Empire. Uh, maybe 500 or a few more, it seems like, as Jesus comes back. And that's how many he seems to, to greet after his resurrection. But when he ascends to heaven, then the question is, what are they going to do? He's commissioned them to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Spirit. He promises he's going to go with them as well. And there's this challenge. And I want you to imagine yourself in the apostles' shoes. I want you to imagine yourselves with this huge mission, knowing that you're going to die before the end of that mission has been accomplished. That that means you're going to have to teach your children, who are going to have to teach their children, who are going to have to teach their children, and they're going to have to move to different places within the empire so that this mission and this small community grows to be a life-changing movement. And it's still our mission today to love God, to love people, and to serve others. The elders have talked about this vision, and it's, they said to you a few weeks ago when they announced that we were coming, uh, that that was part of the reason that, that I came here, was the mission and vision seemed to fit that. And I want to tell you, the same thing is true for Holly and me. We've come here because we believe that mission and vision is what we wanted to be a part of as well. 
As you may know, and this is what I want to talk about for the next few minutes, I, I want to talk about what it means to be the church. Because that word uh, means something significant. And, and I want to go back and look a little bit at the, the background of that. See, the, the Greek term that, that, that is translated church most often in the New Testament is the term ekklesia. Can you say that with me this morning? Ekklesia. Okay? And ekklesia is this term that means called out ones. Okay? So it's a, it's a group of people that are called out for a specific purpose. Originally, it wasn't a religious term. In the Roman Empire at that time, it was often used to talk about groups that Caesar or other leaders would commission on certain projects. So if there was a, a called out people for a certain purpose, they would call out an ecclesia. Okay, so, so when Paul and Jesus take this term, they're drawing from that background. These are the called out people. It's just called, being called out for a different purpose than the rest of the empire, right? This is a contrast community to share the good news of Jesus with the world. But that changed when the Roman Empire began to legalize Christianity, right? Because now they were able to build big cathedrals, and then they were able to think about church in different ways. Now it wasn't so much a people who were on the move with God. Now it became a place to go to. And the term church actually is derived from a German word, Kirche, or something like that. I actually talked about this at Littleton a few weeks ago when I, before I left, and, and, and I, I, I pronounced it Kirche because that's what it looks like. And, and I had a German guest show up, and she was laughing at me after the service saying, that is not how you pronounce it. So I hope you'll give me some grace this morning. But, but this idea of Kirche is this idea of a building, a location. It's how we talk about church today. Like, I mean, growing up, I didn't think of church as a people who were on a mission with God. I thought about church as a building, a place you go to. I'm going to church at, at Greenville Oaks tomorrow, I might have told someone yesterday. But no, that's not what the church is, according to Scripture. The church is a called-out group of people who are living for a specific purpose. And I guess that's my question this morning as we launch together is, are, are, we are more than a building, right? Like We are a called-out group of people that has been called by God to do certain things in this community and flip Collin County upside down. For the name of Jesus. That's the exciting mission that God has called me to, and I know He's called you to the very same. Ecclesia is so far different from Kirke. It's, this is about a people. And so when we spread out, people ask me, hey, where's your church located? It's hard to uh, determine because on Monday through Friday, uh, it's spread out all over the city and the county, isn't it? I mean, you all are the church. You don't go to church, you are the church. It's like you don't go to family, you, you are family, right? And this is what God has called us to be about, is to be a church, an ecclesia, a called out people. See, I didn't come here to do church. This isn't the most important hour of our week. It's a significant hour of our week, but it's only significant if it launches us out into the community to change the world the rest of the days of our week. Amen? So I, uh, I grew up as a Buick. You know that term, a Buick, a brought up in church kid? Um, I grew up, I was in, in the church all the time growing up. It was Sunday morning, it was Sunday night, it was Wednesday night. My dad was a preacher in Churches of Christ. My great-grandfather, a guy named Brother Bell, people knew him as, Robert, he, he was a patriarch at the Preston Road uh, Church of Christ in Dallas. I mean, I, I have a legacy that goes back a long ways that I am grateful for. And a lot of people, they have to round the bases themselves when it comes to faith, right? But I was born on third base. I mean, I have a heritage that I'm so grateful for. And I didn't hit the triple. I, was, I still had to find my way home. I still had to find that connection with Jesus. But I'm grateful for that heritage. And many of us have different stories when it comes to that. Some of you are here because of different people in this church who invited you to come. And you had to learn about this story all your own. And wherever you come from, we're so glad you're here this morning. But even though I was born on third base, I've had a, to go through conversions. And I say that plural because... 
I haven't just had one conversion. I've had lots of conversions. Paul talks about it this way. He says, we are being saved, right? Salvation to Paul is not just a, a step on the journey. It's this continual process. When, tell me this morning, when was Peter converted, right? I mean, it seems like Peter's being converted every chapter in the book of Acts after all the stuff he did in the Gospels. And part of that conversion recently for me has been a, a conversion of my heart to care for the lost in ways I, didn't, I don't think I cared for them before. People who didn't know Jesus. At first, Christianity was this thing that saved me from hell, right? But I've come to know Christianity as the best way of life possible. It's not just something that saves me one day. It's saving me now all the time. And I believe this way of life is the best way of life that our neighbors and friends can come to know. So last, in the last two weeks I was in Denver, there were four people that I got to know that I got to baptize. And I don't say that to draw attention to myself at all. Why I tell you that is, it's really pretty sad that I didn't have those conversations with those people before that. What I felt was an urgency because I was leaving Denver, and I knew I hadn't had conversations about Jesus with relationships I'd built, and I was able to have those, those conversations, and they went so well. But my question is, why did I not feel that urgency on a regular basis the rest of my time in Denver? I wonder about us and the relationships we have and we build. Are we having those conversations? Because, see, the good news is actually good news. <laughs> you know, you figure out how to break bad news to people, but the gospel's not bad news. It's the best news the world has ever received. And so that's what I found in these conversations, and I'm beginning to think maybe those are conversations I ought to have more often with people. So this morning I, I left pretty early at the house, and uh, there weren't many people in the neighborhood who had left. Hopefully we'll get to know them and invite them here. Uh, but what I found out in the city of Dallas is about three out of ten people on a Sunday morning are in church. That's probably a generous statistic, actually. When you think about that, there's a lot of churches that are happy to be churches for churched people. You know what I mean? Like, like growth is really just taking people from other churches, and we're happy with that. Uh, and, and let me just say here at Greenville Oaks, we're glad for others that have come from other communities and, and other places. But, but I think true growth, true kingdom growth is going to happen when that 70% is reached. Right? I mean, we want to be a church for the 70% to realize there's all these people who need to hear the good news of Jesus, and we have a chance to share that message with them. And to me, that's what excites my heart, and that's what gets me excited, is to be a church for the 70%. And, and that vision originated in the book of Acts. See, there was this big problem as we opened Acts 15, as we deal with it there. The church was growing, and God wasn't staying in the boundaries of what people wanted. <laughs> God has a way of doing this, of breaking outside of our box for him, right? And so uh, there's all these Jewish people that have been a part of the people of God for a long time. But then there's these Gentiles who start coming into the church. And it's causing all kinds of problems. So the question that they have to determine is, what do Gentiles have to do to become followers of Jesus? I mean, do, do they have to become like Jews to follow Jesus? What from this old law, what from the old story they've known for so long is going to continue? What do they need to become to, to be followers of Jesus? And it's a big question. I mean, some of those uh, obstacles, I'll call them, some of those qualifications for the Jewish faith are pretty big hurdles. Like, no bacon, right? I mean, is that a big hurdle for any of you? Or any of, any of the men in the crowd? Like, there's going to take a surgery uh, to become a part of this group of people, right? I mean, it's tougher to get in, in, into that church than Greenville Oaks. And so these are the questions they're struggling with is... is is what does it mean to be a part of the people of God? And do we have to become like the Jewish people in order to be followers of Jesus? And, and so here's what the, some of the Jews were teaching. In Acts chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you're circumcised 
According to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So this is this group of people that are saying, look, they've got to become like us if they're going to become a part of this movement of people. But there's another guy, Peter, who's already seen the Holy Spirit come down on the Gentiles. And he has another perspective altogether. This is what he says in, in Acts chapter 15, verse 10 and 11. It says, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. See, Peter's already experienced these conversions. He's had his own experience with God. And now he's seeing these people come in. And he says to the people who've been there a long time, have you been able to follow the laws you want to put on these people? I mean, it's kind of a jarring you know, response. He's really hard on these people. And, 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 but what ends up happening is what James ends up saying in the end. James is the brother of Jesus. If you want any uh, you know, evangelistic hope, it's the fact that Jesus' brother James came to believe that he was Lord. I mean, how many of you would claim that a brother or sister was Lord no matter what you saw, right, from growing up with them? This is huge that James is now the, a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And this is what he has to say about this whole conflict. And let me, let me just say before we go there, this is a huge decision for the church in Acts. Because whatever is decided here is going to impact people for centuries to come. We're reading this text today, still trying to figure out what it means to be on mission. Reading what James has to say. This is what he says in Acts 15, uh, beginning in verses, uh, verse 13. Listen closely. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. As it is written, after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. That the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who, who does these things. Things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Now, this is revolutionary, okay? Because think about this. In the Old Testament, 613 laws that God had given his people to follow. Try to keep up with that. And the question is, how many of those 613 do people have to follow? What is essential and what are the things that culture can change? And I think these are still the questions we're probably still struggling with today, right? Because we see missionaries across the world who go out and have to make these decisions on an everyday basis. What does it look like to share the gospel in this context? What does it look like to share the good news? What has to be maintained? And what are things that change with culture? But maybe we forget that sometimes that we're missionaries. That we're called on mission. And so these same cultural decisions that they had to make back then and they make in Africa today, we have to make them as well. And what does he say when it comes down to it? It's, it's something that hangs on my office wall and I'll write every sermon that I write with this on the wall. It's Acts fifteen nineteen. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And I begin to wonder... For those who don't yet know Jesus, who walk into our doors, I just begin to wonder, how difficult is it for them to find Jesus? And my heart is that we would remove as many unnecessary barriers as we possibly can so that as many people as possible can come to know him. Are you with me? And that's the struggle in this. And, and these are big things, right? I mean, circumcision is a big thing for them to give up. 
that they're willing to give these things up. And the four things are interesting. Sexual immorality. We're not going to be an impure people. We're going to live differently than the culture around us. That's one of those things they hang on to. The other three are all about table fellowship. It's all about ways that they can not eat certain things so they can eat with the rest of the community and they can be a combined community of Jews and Gentiles. That's what it is. That's what the focus is for this community. So it's been interesting over the last few weeks. We've, uh, we've been in transition and, and uh, one of the things we had to do was figure out how to become Texans again. There's actually a whole website for people who move here, uh, how to become a registered Texan. So we checked it out, and there were three steps. We had to uh, get our cars inspected, and, and then we had to get our cars registered, and then we had to get driver's license, and then you're a registered Texan. I didn't know we had dual citizenship, but that's what it is. And, and so uh, we figured one morning we'll just go and take care and knock this all out, right, until we showed up. And our vehicles were inspected fine. You know, that, that, that worked out. But we got to the registration place, waited in line forever. We get up to the line, and we'd forgotten some documents that were buried in some boxes somewhere in our house. So we dig through and we find our stuff and finally we go back, we get that taken care of, we got our driver's license, wish we'd had better pictures, but you know, you know how that goes. And, and I'm thinking, you know, aren't, couldn't this be an easier process? If you want people into your state, couldn't you just put all three of those things in one building and you could, you could speed up the process so fast, but you know, that's not the way they think, right? And I mean, you remember that, those commercials, the Staples commercials with the easy button a few years ago, right? In fact, this one's pretty cool. It talks. I don't know if you can hear this. That was easy. That was easy. Right? Aren't there some times in your life where you just wish you could find an easy button and hit it and everything would be fixed in that moment? That's what we were thinking when we were trying to become Texans. But it took us a day and we're, we're good now, okay? Uh, we were on vacation just recently. Some of you may have seen our pictures on Facebook. And we went to the Northeast. And I, getting through an airport security with... with toddlers is interesting. Um, we, we just brought our, our baby Brooklyn with us. Uh, the other older one stayed home. Uh, and it was stressful getting through the checkpoint, right? I mean, we've got a stroller, we've got a car seat, we've got a suitcase for her that's bigger than ours. We've got all these things we're trying to get through and we're holding up the line. And I'm one of those people who like to plan ahead. So, so I get out before I get to the line and make sure my pockets are empty. I got my laptop out ready to put it in the bin. I don't want to hold anyone up. And so we're walking through the line and we get through and I'm like, Holly, that was a nightmare. Now, three weeks before that, she had tra- traveled on a plane with all three of our kids while I drove the car here, which I got the better deal on that one, okay? Um, that's like one of the greatest feats of modern history to, to get that and make that work. So we get through the line. And I'm like, oh, this was so hard. And she goes, you know what? It was actually easier with the three kids than it was with you. <laughs> like, we should not make it difficult. Is there an easy button somewhere? For the last six weeks, we've been visiting churches around the area. And as people who grew up in church, we're always insiders wherever we go. We show up at a church of Christ and people are like, oh, I know your family. And oh, you went to Abilene Christian. I, yeah, I, I'm sure you know these people. And, and we know how to find our way into small groups and Bible classes. And, you know, I mean, they're throwing a party here on our first week. So people know us kind of thing. But we walked into these churches as outsiders and we didn't know exactly where to go. And people didn't know our families. And it was a little odd walking into these situations when we're so used to being known. And, and it reminded me that so often in our churches, we become insiders and we lose perspective on what it's like to be an outsider walking in. We forget that it's hard to make relationships. We forget that sometimes it's hard to break in and sometimes you feel on the outside. I know there are some here today that you've been here for years and you're wondering, will I ever find my way into relationship and connection here? 
And I think that's what Acts is trying to prompt us towards as we start to look at the church we're going to become, as we continue on with the last three weeks of trying to preach on becoming a welcoming congregation. How can we make it more simple for people who are trying to find their way to Jesus to find him? Because I don't want to be guilty of putting barriers and hurdles in front of people who just want to find Jesus, do you? And that's the question that I think we've got to continue to struggle with is what does that look like? And I guess an important clarification is here because, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting how we can take this passage and mean something other than what Paul meant by it. See, the, the words he's using there, he's not saying we should make it easy on the Gentiles who are coming to God. He's saying we should not add extra difficulty for those who are turning to God. And the Christian faith is not this easy faith, right? I mean, the call to come to Christ is a call to die to ourselves, to give up of our life, and to follow him, which sometimes asks some really big things of us. If you follow Kent Brantley and all that's going on with him uh, and with the Ebola virus and coming back to the States, he went to ACU and was there the same time I was. I mean, that, that's the call of Christ that called him out on that. I'm glad to hear so many of you have been praying and to hear what's happened with that. But sometimes we forget this. And so we can say, yeah, let's make it easy. This is not about watering down Christianity. Okay? What he's saying is it's already difficult enough. Let's not add extra hurdles to people so that they're going to say, I mean, I'm going to preach some sermons here. They're going to frustrate some of you. Dan Bouchel said that I should do that. And, and so I'm, I'm just going to use his word on that. Okay? <laughs> but but I'm, the gospel is offensive. It's foolishness to the world. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. So there are things that are going to be said that people are going to come in and they're going to think, if that's what Christianity is, I'm not sure I want a part of it. For instance, wait, God's going to forgive people who've done harm to me? I'm not sure I want God to forgive them for the things and the pain that's happened in my life. I mean, the grace of God is a scandal that God would forgive us. And he would forgive so many others. And so the, the gospel message in itself is offensive enough to be offensive on the way to the gospel. I don't want to be a part of a church that does that. I want people to hear the gospel and hear the message of that. But, but we should not make it difficult. We should not add extra difficulty to those who are trying to find their way to Jesus. Amen? And that's what it, it's hard to figure out what it looks like in every culture. And we'll find that out together. You know, every day in Allen, Texas... There are kids, there are brothers, there are sisters, there are cousins and uncles and aunts. There are people who were on their knees this morning praying that their children would find a church home in this area. They, they raised them to know Jesus, and they're not following Jesus, and they've, they've gone off course. There are people every week in this city, outside of the city, that are praying for people in this city. They might show up on one Sunday morning. Or they might come across some of you in the grocery store or at, at your place of work or wherever you find yourself. There, there are people who are praying for people in this city. And God's trying to make those intersections happen if we have eyes to see. Every Sunday there are people walking into this room who haven't been in a church for a long time. Hoping they might hear a message of hope they didn't know was there before. And that's why the stakes are so high. Every Sunday when we gather together is we can so easily become barriers and hurdles to people finding Jesus. But this is the amazing thing is that God continues to use his church in spite of us. In spite of the brokenness in our lives. That's how we act. All those characters in scripture that look like they're perfect and we told the VBS stories like they were, they're not. That God uses broken people because he has no other option. And this is the way of the church. And this is what the ecclesia is. is a group of broken people, called out people on mission with God. So let us be a church that can do everything we can to help people know Jesus and not get in the way. Now, I'm excited about the future. 
I'm excited about the days to come, and I don't know what all this is going to look like, but, but i got to tell you, I, I just feel such a sense of, of, of peace and presence of God in this place. This was a, a, an incredible morning this morning for us. And we're so excited to get to know your stories, your areas of brokenness that sometimes turn into areas of ministry. I'm so excited about all that. But let me tell you, revival doesn't come because a new preacher comes into a church. Revival doesn't come because you have a tent meeting or a gospel meeting or some program that you put on. Revival happens when God begins to make revival happen in our own hearts, and our own lives. So this is what I want us to begin to pray for. It's not for some revival that happens church-wide. That'll take care of itself if God begins to work and bring revival in our own lives. So that's what I want to begin our, this ministry that we're starting here. I want to begin this morning by praying that God would break us, that he would do what he needs to do so that his life can be brought out in us and that we can change the world because we've been changed and we just share the story of what God's done. Amen. So right now, I just want to go to God in prayer. This is, this is a special place to me. Texas is a special place, but in some ways, uh, it's like returning home to where my ancestors came to, to do the very thing that we're doing here. And it feels special to be with you all and to see what God's going to do in Collin County. But let's pray right now that God would do what he needs to do in our hearts and our lives in this church. Oh God, you are our God and earnestly we seek you. We long for you as people in the desert long for water. We, 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 We want you to bring rain to this land, God. We want you to bring your rain, your kingdom rain to this place, God. But we know that's not something we just need to pray about what goes on outside of us, God. We pray for that right now in our own lives, in our own hearts. God, break our hearts where they need to be broken. Give us eyes to see, God, what you want to do in this world. The people around us that need a message of hope, God, help us to speak that word because this is truly good news. Help us remember that the church is not a building or a place, it's a people. We are the church, and you choose to use us, and Jesus Christ is our head. We're, we're a church of Christ, which means it's Jesus' church. So, God, this morning I pray that that can be true. So I pray for revival right now, God, from tomorrow morning and the devotionals that we experience to experiences of service in the world to the disciplines that we try to live out together as a church family. Will you break us? Will you mold us? Will you make us who you want us to be? God, we're excited to see what you're going to do, and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And if you believe, say amen.